At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign overall. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Good morning. You know, I couldn't wear uh, my Jared Goff jersey, but I could get a little Honolulu blue in, okay? So, just got a little there. All right. Well, it's good to see you this morning, and I want to begin by asking a question. If there was one word to describe what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, what would it be? One word. Maybe faith maybe trust? How about dependence? All of those would be great answers. They all matter when it comes to believing and living out the gospel. And yet, I believe there's actually another word that rises above all the rest. It's actually a disposition. It's a posture. It involves both our head and our heart. You might say, well, what is this key to the Christian faith? It is the word humility. You know, that thing that Jesus lived, that thing that Jesus modeled, that thing that Jesus taught, that thing that He encouraged of all of His followers, humility. Now, the fact is, some top Christian thinkers and authors throughout the history of the church have written on the importance of humility. I want us to just consider a few of their thoughts. I'll begin with Augustine. He said, humility is the foundation of all the other virtues. Andrew Murray He said, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. A.W. Tozer. For the Christian, humility is absolutely indispensable. Without it, there can be no self-knowledge. There can be no repentance. There can be no faith and there can be no salvation. And lastly, John Stott. In every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. So, if St. Augustine is writing about humility in 400 A.D. and John Stott is writing about it in our generation, there must be something to it, right? But why? 
What's the big deal? Surely humility cannot be that important. Today we're going to be looking at an Old Testament book called Daniel. And we're going to read in the fourth chapter about a king whose life and his leadership are going to help us understand the significance of humility. But before we turn there, let's pray together. Gracious, holy God, our Heavenly Father, You have invited us here today. You've brought us together as Your people to bring you an offering of praise, to quiet our hearts, to humble ourselves before you, before your holiness and your righteousness and your goodness. You've invited us to come. God, thank you. Thank you for that invitation. Thank you for that opportunity that we have because of your Son, Jesus. For it's all about Him and what He has provided for us on the cross. God, we pray that today you might find our hearts humble. Not in a full humility kind of sense, but in a lay everything down, take nothing before you, humble-hearted posture. That's what we desire. So, God, now we want to turn to Your Word because we know it's truth. It has everything we need to walk out our faith in real, practical, tangible ways. So, God, give us eyes to see the truth of Your Word today. God, we ask that You would give us ears to to hear clearly the truth of Your Word. And then once again, may You find our hearts humble before You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I mentioned we are in part four of our Daniel Clash of Culture sermon series. Now, what we are doing is we are working through one chapter each week. And so, if you were peeking ahead and looking at chapter four, what you will find is that uh, it's a long chapter, and we are going to be working our way through it again because what we find is how God's people can stand firm and hold fast in a culture that pushes against us. That's the overarching theme of our series. That's what we're going to find out a little bit more today and what that looks like for you and for me as we walk out this journey. So let's grab our Bibles. And as I said, it is a long chapter. So what I'm reading is a story. The first number of chapters in Daniel are narrative, and so we're going to be reading a story today. So I'm going to dig into the first 27 verses, yeah, 27 verses, and then I'll stop, and then we'll unpack it together a little bit. But I want you to go ahead, grab your Bible if you have it. If not, read along on the screen behind me. We're going to jump to Daniel chapter 4. You're going to find that on page 740 in your church Bible. You guys buckled in? All right, let's go. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, 
nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might have make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, they came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and that their interpretation And so the visions in my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Then I saw a vision of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, "'Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit.'" Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast and the grass of the earth, and let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and it gives it to whom He will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Belteshazzar, saw. And, O you, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you, you are able, for the Spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, he was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts, they alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. 
The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. It is you, O King, who have grown and become strong." Your greatness has grown to reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. For in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, until seven periods of time pass over. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and the seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the root of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be, perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. What we just read is the pinnacle of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. There was, in fact, a reason for him to be filled with pride and arrogance because of all that he had accomplished. And trust me, King Nebuchadnezzar had those things, both pride and arrogance. You see, he was the one who had successfully defeated the powerful Assyrian army. That was him. He'd brought both beauty and power to the capital city of Babylon. That was him. And he ruled and reigned over the most powerful kingdom on earth for 40 years. The guy's resume is impressive. I mean, as a leader, as a king, when you look at all that he had accomplished, all that he had done, the man's resume is, in fact, rather impressive. And yet what Daniel shows to him, what Daniel reveals to all of us, is that there is no earthly king that can match the one true God. No one. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar had done many significant things for his kingdom. We've highlighted those. The resume is long. The accomplishments are significant. The problem was he had an ego to match those accomplishments. It was a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance. But if there's one thing that Almighty God will not stand for. It's that. It's pride. 
Consider a couple passages of Scripture with me. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Whoa. 1 Peter 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is why when Daniel hears the king's dream, he had immediately shares in the king's fear and his trembling. You could pick it up in the middle of that story. King Nebuchadnezzar tells him and he pauses for a moment and he says, oh yeah, that, that tree, that tree right now that is so impressive, that has such authority, that produces so much for everyone, that tree is going to be cut down. And that tree is you. Essentially, what Daniel gives the king is something that happens in your life and in my life too. And it is something called a warning. It's a warning. Listen to how Daniel interprets uh, those things in verse 27. He says, Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue You see, Daniel's counsel helps us see one very important truth today. God warns us of the pride that reigns in our hearts. God warns us of our pride. Now, through Daniel's interpretation of his dream, the dashboard lights are flashing for the king. Well, the reality is you and I don't have a a prophet coming into us to share a warning with us. We do receive warnings when pride begins to overtake us. This reminds me of something that uh, happened with my teenage daughter Bethany recently. She got home from school and we were talking after... after at the end of the day and she says, Dad, you know, I was driving home today and... uh, and I got one of those little emojis on my dash. That would be a warning light. And when those emojis pop up occasionally, uh, you have to address those. And that happens when your car is 10 to 15 years old. Now, I do want to say a quick disclaimer. Bethany is a car girl, and she was kind of having some fun with me about the emojis. But you guys get the point. Those little lights are there to warn us. Those lights on our dashboard tell us, hey, something is amiss. Something is not right. Something in this vehicle needs your attention. And as followers of Christ, we have a similar warning in the Gospels. Matthew calls people to repent. To repent. For the kingdom is near. And you've heard me say this many times, but what repentance is, is not simply an apology like, oh, I'm sorry. What repentance is, is if I am walking in this direction, repentance is a 180 degree turn going in the opposite direction. It is a full change. 
Now, when I talk about repentance, what that looks like is first to surrender everything and repent of your sin and come to Jesus in faith. We repent unto salvation. And then, in a regular rhythm, moment by moment, day by day, What you and I do is we repent anew, repent afresh. That is a practice that you and I participate in as followers of Jesus. We do that for our sanctification. First, for salvation unto Christ. Then, as we walk in faith, we have this regular rhythm of repentance in our lives, and it is unto sanctification. You see, it's an act of confessing our sinful desires to a holy and righteous God. When we confess to Him, God, you know what? I'd like to be in control right now. I'd like my plans to happen. Repentance is humbly submitting to what the Lord desires, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and in mine. It's believing the gospel afresh each and every day. So let me ask you this today. Believer, where you sit today, right here on a Sunday morning in the middle of winter, what emojis are flashing on your dashboard? Seriously, what are those things that God is trying to warn you of that He is exposing in your life? As you sit here, you know what they are. Confess them to a holy God. Bring them to Him. If you're struggling with a specific sin, don't keep holding on to it. Don't dabble in it. Repent of it and run to Jesus anew. That's how you and I grow in our faith. When we repent and believe the gospel once again. Now, let's return to the story, picking it up at verse 28. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months... He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. King Nebuchadnezzar had ignored 
the dashboard warnings. Instead, he made it all about him. Listen to the pride jump out of verse 30. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. You guys hear it? Please tell me you hear it. The king of, ba- of the Babylonian empire has completely ignored the dashboard warnings. Pride and arrogance of what he has, of what he has accomplished, has blinded him. And so while those words are still fresh on his lip, a word of judgment falls down from heaven and the dream that Daniel spoke to him as a warning is fulfilled. And this helps us see another important truth about our God. He judges us for our sins. You see, God's people are judged for the sin that resides within us. Now, we could simply see this as well. God saw the king as a bad guy, and he brought a little heat. Let me say to you in the most pastoral way that I can, that's partially true. He was filled with pride and arrogance. What's more important and more accurate is that God looked upon King Nebuchadnezzar, and what he was not pleased with was the posture of his heart. The posture of his heart. You see, the purpose of God's actions upon this prideful king is to bring him to a point of humble repentance. And God wanted from King Nebuchadnezzar what he desires from all of us an acknowledgement of God's sovereign authority over all things. Over all things. Listen to the words of G.I. Packer. The book is a classic. It is called Knowing God. Packer writes, he says, He knows and He foreknows all things. He, therefore, will have the last word, both in world history and in the destiny of every man. His kingdom and His righteousness will triumph. Not King Nebuchadnezzar's. His kingdom and His righteousness will triumph. The question for us today is, is that how we think of our God? Is that how you and I think of our God? Is that our heart posture towards Him when we come to Him in prayer? Is that our heart posture when you walked in these doors today? You'd say, hey, you know what? I'm going to meet with Almighty God. You know, God is close to us. God does care for His people. He's modeled that by giving us His Son, Jesus. But I don't want you to have any misconceptions. Make no mistake about it. God is not our holy buddy. He's not somebody that we just run to when there's a problem. He is the sovereign God over all things, and He deserves a humble heart of worship. 
Now, church, let's look at the final segment of today's text. See where all of this leads us. Let's pick it up at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? None. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords, they sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all His works are right, and His ways, well, they are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. What just happened? What just happened? Wasn't the king in a bad spot? Wasn't his hair long and growing long claw-like fingernails? What happened? Wasn't he just judged by a holy God? What we see in this transformation is the common grace of God that changes people. God has placed Nebuchadnezzar under his judgment until he learns to acknowledge the one true God. Don't dismiss what's happened here. God has graciously granted Nebuchadnezzar one primary faculty, his ability to reason. Look at verse 34. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason return to me. Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. Church, I've served as a pastor for nearly 20 years. Now, I've sat with many people in the midst of their sin and their pride, and you know what you couldn't do in that moment? You couldn't reason with them. They're blinded by their sin. They're blinded by their pride. They're stuck in it. They have no capacity to reason. They have no capacity to see beyond themselves. And so what we see here that God gives graciously to Nebuchadnezzar is no small gift when He gives him the ability to reason. And so, as we consider this powerful story from Daniel, and actually as we consider the significance of what's true in Daniel and what we find in both the Old and the New Testament, what we see is that punishment sometimes changes the heart. Sometimes. But far more often and far more significant are the times that we see mercy and grace lead to transformation. And this shows us the third truth today, that God restores us by His grace. God gives His people 
His amazing grace. But if we're going to be honest with each other, we have to acknowledge that grace can be a sticky topic or a sticky issue and kind of hard for many people to grasp, to comprehend. Far too often it is assumed Far too often is thought of casually. Far too often it's easily taken for granted. Sometimes the grace is even abused. So what is grace, really? What does it mean biblically? What does it mean theologically? Grace is defined as undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. You know what that means? That means that I cannot earn it. You know why I can't earn it? Because it's undeserved. I cannot earn it. But why is it undeserved? Because it is the favor of Almighty God. God reveals His loving, forgiving, benevolent character when He bestows His grace upon His people. You know, and there's no clearer picture of God's grace than Jesus, the Son. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote these words, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We experience the gift of God's grace in the person and the work of Jesus, the Christ. What God asks of you, what God asks of me, what God asks of all of us, in response to that amazing grace, it's very simple. Humble yourself before the one true King. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.